0: Conspirituality and the Second Coming. Do we feel a compunction to believe what might actually be true? Do we try to walk close to reality? What is our conspirituality? Do we interpret the meaning of events so they confirm our esteem, our sense of belonging, our readiness for social competition. Beliefs throughout history have been more about comfort than objective reality, and that way of sliding into beliefs is a human pattern. Confirmation bias is a natural phenomenon. We naturally give credence and emphasis to the data that fits our beliefs. Humans believe some astonishing things. Often our meaning conspiracies are so confirmed by our culture that they seem natural without a need to question. Maybe our consumption culture prompts belief that if we just get that better vehicle, we will be better. Or... Maybe we believe that ultimately we must take care of ourselves with force and we can point to evidence that confirms our theory. It's part of our conspirituality, our beliefs about our well-being. Our culture's conspirituality is sometimes distorted by people with sinister intent. The abusive distortions are intentionally exaggerated to get large groups of people to believe falsehoods and, of course, act accordingly. Consider the climate deniers or the vast number who believe our last presidential election was stolen. Humans believe amazing things. Here are two questions to ask when we appropriate information using confirmation biases. First, do these theories walk close to reality, or are they twisting reality for some alternate reason? And second, do these theories enlist humanity's basest basest instincts? toward hatred, aggression, greed, and self-absorbed indifference, and thereby show a sinister intent. If they do, we need to question mightily. The substratum of meaning-making is the runway from which political and or religious conspiracy theories take off. We connect the dots, and away we go. When you try to understand things from tidbits of information that trickle down, like QAnon believers, or believers that have an ongoing personal relationship with an undefined higher power, or followers of the sp- the secret, the patterns and time frame leave room for wild range of interpretations. This can be helpful, even delightful to the mind, can be comforting and healing, and can also lead us away from reality. That distance away from reality sometimes helps us cope with our human condition, like death and dying and sometimes moves us toward mental illness, like paranoid delusions and loose associations. Religion tends to travel in reality-testing deserts, so it has everything to do with meaning-making and conspiratorial theories. Christianity, where my faith was rooted since early childhood, and more specifically the Apostle Paul's faith, is no exception. Religion floats in the quasi-space between some historical claims and beliefs that are so inculcated that we often can't and don't assess validity. When it's a lack, it stares us in the face. However, however, Christianity has one central theory of belief that is easy to assess. Today, rather than repeating a scholarly analysis, I will tell you a story that might demonstrate some of the Apostle Paul's testable meaning-making that you can assess. The story tries to be accurate to the texts, but I tell it from an imaginary and intimate perspective. What I think the Apostle Paul might have experienced as he was approaching his death and was grappling with the meaning of his life. Death brings up our beliefs. But first, some caveats. First, I experienced Paul as a sincere person, not a con artist. Paul seems not to fit the sinister category. Paul was also caught up in a change moment of some Jewish understandings of their God's character and intentions. And all of this is far more complex than I can describe in a limited time. To set the stage, Bart Ehrman, in his book, God's Problem, looks at the historical circumstance of the Israelite people in Paul's day. For about 500 years, they were conquered and occupied, one after another, from the Assyrians in 722 BCE to the Syrians in 198 BCE, the prophet said that the Jews were being conquered because they failed to follow the Jewish law well enough, and thus came foreign conquerors. For some Jews, the old answer for their suffering <clears throat> was no longer adequate apocalyptic thought began to flourish. In their understanding, like the story of Daniel, God would use mighty power to overthrow evil rulers, and God would take the throne in awe-inspiring majesty and become the forever ruler, establishing the kingdom of God. Indeed, some apocalyptic Jews actually overthrew their oppressors. Freedom lasted about 100 years, but Roman rule came in 63 BCE. A similar apocalyptic view operates in Christian understandings of evil today. Shortly after World War I, <clears throat> returning soldiers created a rise in apocalyptic movements in the US. These soldiers had participated in seemingly futile fighting against enemies that looked like ourselves, standing in trenches without bathing for months and amidst the stench of dead and rotting horses and humans. Without an acceptable answer to make meaning of this kind of suffering, many soldiers, believed that God would not tolerate it for long and would soon come in his glory to set the world straight. Jesus, his disciples, Paul and his followers and many others of their time, believed that the apocalyptic end was near. Their roles were to usher it in. Paul connected the meaning dots from Jesus' death and resurrection to a coming apocalyptic end there is no record of paul's death but early christians thought nero played a part this story as an is an imagined dialogue <clears throat> an internal dialogue paul might have expressed to grasp the meaning of his life as it was ending. I hope this internal dialogue can reveal something of the intricate, interdependent relationships in which the human brain connects dots into meaning patterns that join political and religious ideologies with personal and collective aspirations. That's a mouthful, but I hope you can get that from this literal reenactment here. You said within my lifetime that keeps ringing in my head within my lifetime within my lifetime i can't shake it <clears throat> i wouldn't have told everyone else that it would happen so soon if you had not told me jesus was giving the same time frame and so were the disciples we all said it was just around the corner look out over the countryside People hurting and hungry. Bodies wrecked with sores, pain everywhere. While he was here, Jesus was showing your power to break through and feed, heal. Then your perfect Jesus died a shameful death on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice. No more need for burnt offerings. He took on all the suffering needed to oppose your wrath, right? We can now trust that those of us who live and die in Christ Jesus, well, we are on your side and you are on ours. I love that assurance. Lord, we await the completion of what Jesus started with his ministry and resurrection. Blessed be your name. Lord, you have brought us this far. We can, I can, Through Jesus, feel your love and care. That still amazes me. Please, dear Lord, sustain me through these remaining hours until Nero has his last laugh at our expense. I consider it an honor to suffer. Jesus gave us that example. I can do this as so many others have done. I am yours, dear Lord. But but could we dispose of this within your lifetime? I heard those very words why else would i have told slaves and women to not try to change their <clears throat> to not try to change their station why would i have said if you aren't married don't bother getting married if you are married don't bother with divorce Whatever your circumstance, just leave it. You won't be here long enough to for it to matter. What matters is that we love one another, that we are a beloved community. That's what I told them. I told all my communities how how you want them to live. How love is patient and kind, not arrogant or rude. How they in love must bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, as I must now. And I know that love never ends. It is your greatest gift. That's basically my whole ministry. I mean, I said, watch for Jesus to come in his glory, wait, and love to the best of your ability. Lord, you blessed me to be your servant and to work with these communities. I love these people. They mean so much to me, and that makes me worrisome about my mistake, thinking you said, in my lifetime. I'm a little worried, not for me, but for for our people. I did my best as much as I could to bolster their faith and love. But I also know how troubling this life can be. I don't want false prophets to turn them against each other. It's just that if I'm gone and you don't come in your glory right away, Well, of course, I can't think of why you wouldn't. You don't want to make a liar out of me or Jesus or the disciples or any of your people. I hit the nail on the head when I told them, I said, if you don't come very soon, I am. Of all people, most to be pitied. I told them that. I would be most to be pitied. But we trust you will be here very soon. Yes, I trust you, Lord. You changed me on that Damascus road. I stopped persecuting and started helping because I finally knew that Jesus' death and resurrection meant you would come as king. I believed you then, Lord, and I believe you now. Yes, let Nero come and do what he will you will also come and do what you will. Thanks be to to you, my Lord. Thanks be to you. Amen. I think Paul believed and he shunted his doubts so quickly that he barely felt them. He was proud to be the Lord's servant. He trusted in an apocalyptic theory that the second coming of Jesus would be definitive. A change of history that could, be, could not be denied in Paul's. We should note here that the Gospel of John, written after the synoptic Gospels, tried to soften the blow that it didn't come, by spiritualizing the meaning of the second coming, which has not shown up now for 2,000 years, though in each year it has been heralded by believers. perhaps. For many Christians today, belief in the rapture or apocalyptic end times is a conspiracy theory that, like QAnon beliefs, keeps being proven wrong and then reinvented. The manipulators of conspiracy theories pretend that what is known to be false is true anyway. Humans have often claimed they have a right to believe whatever they choose, regardless of its veracity. That's conspirituality. Likely for Paul, it was a different story. He could believe in the resurrection and therefore in supernatural powers powers that would soon complete what they wanted to accomplish. Do we feel a compunction to believe what might actually be true, while knowing that our knowledge is limited and mysteries remain? Do we try to walk close to the moving target of reality, what is our conspirituality, what is mine, what is yours?